reading from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, which can be found on page 788 of your Black Bibles. First, please join me in a prayer of illumination. Lord, we pray that you will give us open hearts and a desire to please you with our thoughts and with our actions. Please bless Pastor Mike and ready us to hear your prompting in your word. Amen. Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you may not be judged, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. This is the word of the Lord. I noticed a few visitors here today, so especially for your sake, I'd like to tell you that we have the habit of passing out manuscripts of the sermon, so in case you'd like one, Sylvia, our church administrator, is passing through the congregation with them. So if you want one, please get her attention. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, that's what Jesus called us, his friends. The first verse of this passage is one of the most familiar and frequently quoted verses in the Bible. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. Even people who don't read the Bible regularly know that verse. It may also be one of the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in the Bible. When Jesus says, do not judge, does that mean no one should ever judge anyone else? Is thou shalt not judge the 11th commandment? But that makes it kind of hard to square up that first verse of the short passage we heard this morning with the last one. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. That's not really about pigs and dogs. It's about how we relate to other people. But how can you obey that? How can you make that determination of whether it's appropriate to cast your pearls or not unless you exercise some judging towards those people? So this is maybe a little confusing. Is Jesus sending mixed messages? When we take a closer look, we'll see that Jesus is not telling us to avoid every kind of judgment regarding other people. Jesus often tells his disciples to exercise careful judgment, careful critical judgment about what other people are like. A little farther into the same chapter we're in right now, Matthew 7, it's down in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them, you'll be able to judge them by their fruits. 
That implies some judging is going on, right? Later in the same gospel, chapter 16, verse 6 of Matthew, Jesus says this, Watch out, beware, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Again, that requires a certain amount of critical judgment. So what can we make of verse 1 then? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? And how can we understand the command about not judging in the context of this whole passage and in the larger context of everything Jesus said? Well, here's how I'd like to approach it this morning. First of all, I'd like to identify exactly the kinds of things that Jesus wants us to avoid, what we might call bad ways of judging. Second, I'd like to see if there might be some good kinds of judgment that Jesus actually does want us to exercise instead. And third, I'd like to make an attempt to describe the, the result Jesus has in mind if we actually do avoid what he wants us to avoid, practice what he wants us to practice, and then, um, sorry, I lost my place. If we actually do avoid what he wants us to avoid and practice what he wants to practice, what does that look like? So that's the outline for this morning. What does Jesus want us to avoid? What does Jesus actually want us to do? And then what happens if we actually don't do the don't do's and do do the do's. Let's go back to the beginning though. Verse 1, that's a challenging one. Sometimes people use this saying as a way of avoiding criticism and you've probably experienced that. I think I said that verse to my parents a few times when I was growing up. <laughs> you might know someone, there might be someone in your life who, who tends to do whatever they want and then when you or anyone objects, they say, what? Don't judge me. And they act like they have Jesus on their side because they can quote Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge so that you may not be judged. That's quite a weapon, quite a defensive shield. It might sound impressive. It doesn't really work. We need to get into the grammar of this verse, and I know that makes some hearts rejoice and other hearts tremble. I'll try to make it simple. Do not judge is a negative command, a thou shalt not. There are several ways to express negative commands in Greek, but I'm going to talk about the two most common ones. If you express a negative command with an aorist tense imperative, it's like simply saying, don't do that in English. But if you express a negative command with the present tense in the Greek language, it's often like saying, stop doing that. It implies that you do that habitually. Here's an everyday example. If your doctor didn't want you to eat dessert on a certain day because you needed to take a blood test the following day, and if for some unimaginable reason she wanted to say that in ancient Greek, she would use the aorist tense imperative. Don't eat dessert tonight. If she used the present imperative, she would mean something else. She'd probably be telling you ever so gently that you probably need to lose a little weight. Don't eat dessert. In other words, stop eating dessert. You have to do, stop eating 
so much dessert all the time. You have to get out of that habit of overeating for the sake of your health. So that's the kind of, that second kind of command is the kind of command we, hear, we have here in Matthew 7, 1. It's a present tense imperative. It sort of means stop judging so that you won't be judged. Or, or don't judge people all the time so that you won't be judged. Get out of the habit, the, the, the disposition of soul that makes you judge other people all the time or else you will be judged. That's what verse 1 feels like in the Greek. And I think that gives us much, a much better picture of what Jesus wants his disciples to avoid. He's not saying that we should never express any kind of moral opinion ever, ever, ever. He's telling us to avoid the habit of critically judging other people <clears throat> all the time, especially if we never look in the mirror. And this comes with a very specific warning, doesn't it? Because with the judgment you judge with, you will be judged. I'm tweaking the translation a little bit to reflect what the Greek actually says. And with the measure you measure with, it will be measured to you. Jesus repeats those words to drive his point home. Judge, 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 measure, measure, measure. So at the very least, there's a kind of selfish reason not to be judgmental. You, I, we will be measured by our own standards. That could be good news if we are actually fair in our judgments of others. But Jesus wants us to think a little bit about ways that we may exaggerate the faults of others. They have a little tiny speck in their eye and we exaggerate that into the need for some kind of intervention from us. Let me help you. So if we have the habit of magnifying our neighbor's little speck of sawdust, into something really big. What will God say about this gigantic chunk of wood that's in my eye? If we exaggerate the faults of others habitually, what will happen when our unfair standard is applied to us? And of course, if our judgment actually is impaired by our own greater faults, it's kind of hard to see with a log in your eye, then we'll only do damage to others if we try to connect them. I don't know about you, but I think I have confirmed this in my own experience. I've done a number of experiments, not realizing I was doing experiments at the time. I've tried many times to correct other people's faults when my own are much greater, and it was not helpful to them or to me. I think anyone who's married or in a family relationship knows what I'm talking about. So that's what Jesus wants us to avoid, harming others and harming ourselves even by habitually and hypocritically judging the real or imagined faults of others and ignoring our own. So there's, there's every reason not to exercise this kind of judgment. Is there a good way of exercising judgment. I have suggested that Jesus envisions healthy ways of exercising critical judgment. Maybe you find that hard to imagine. Is there really a healthy way of judging another person? I don't think very many people really enjoy being judged or evaluated by others. Does anyone here really like that? Maybe there's a certain personality type that does, I don't know. But, but let's think about this a little more deeply. Are there ways of being judged that might be helpful 
that might even be necessary? I can think of a few. When we study, we get grades. Everyone here has been to school, I think, or is in school now. We not only get final grades, I know that a lot of you probably got report cards or electronic grade reports last week in, in the public schools or last month at the university, but we also get grades when we're in school on every assignment, every quiz, every paper, every project, every test along the way. The grades certainly measure your performance. They, they give a, a, a factual basis for your letter grade at the end, but they also show you what you need to put more work into. They're part of the learning process. They show you where you need to improve. And if you're actually interested in improvement, and I hope we all are, then grades are important. They show us what we still need to work on. Grown-ups get the same thing. In performance reviews at work, isn't that a lovely experience to go through? Well, it can be good if the, if the reviews are fair, if they actually do identify things that you do well as well as things that you need to work on, then they help you get better at your job. Coaches have a similar function. They criticize often the athletes they work with. Sometimes it, if you have a certain kind of coach, it probably feels like you get criticized all the time. But coaches do that to help the athletes run faster, jump higher, have better awareness of what's going on in the game, and win more. Music teachers do the same thing. You need to work on your tempo in that passage. Your phrasing is a little rough here. That's a B natural in measure 16. And if no one corrects that, then you keep playing the B flat and it doesn't sound right. Anything that's complex and that's truly worthwhile in human endeavor and that we know how to do, we probably learned with a certain amount of helpful feedback from other people. Are you good at selling things or fixing things? Are you skilled at baking? or teaching, or sewing, even fun things like riding a bicycle, catching fish, shooting pool, throwing a frisbee. Someone probably helped you get better at that. Someone who could watch what you were doing and correct you or advise you. It isn't always a bad thing to be on the receiving end of critical judgment. There's usually one basic requirement, though, for the person offering the critical judgment, for helping other people get better at something. You usually have to be good at it yourself. That helps a lot. I can't teach my daughter, Cleo, very much about playing the viola. Her teacher, Micah, can. What's the difference? Well, Micah has worked for quite a few years to master the viola. He's qualified. When Cleo wants help with her French, she comes to me. I'm a little more qualified in that department. But you get the point. We can apply this to what Jesus says. Before we correct others, we need to correct ourselves. Before we coach others out of their bad habits or out of their own moral abyss, we need to master our own habits and get ourselves out of our moral abyss. And then we may have something to offer others. And that's what Jesus envisions. Take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And that's what our translation says, neighbor. But in Greek, 
It's actually the word adelphos, which means brother or sister. And I think that makes a, a big difference because it implies not just a community, but a really close community where people affect each other very much, where, where, where their total communal welfare hangs in the balance with the well-being of each member of that community, where the whole community really stands or falls together like a family. I think Jesus imagines that we will become that kind of community, the, the kind of community where we trust one another enough to listen when other people correct us, and where we might also sometimes have worked on our own character enough that we're in a position to offer other people some gentle correction too, not arrogantly, but out of our own experience, not to tear them down, but to build them up and to build the whole community up. As I already pointed out, almost everyone here goes to school or has been to school how many of you, I want a show of hands here, how many of you have ever been in a class where, where your teacher gives you a quiz and then asks you to trade papers with another student so that you can correct each other? In some ways, I liked that when I was in school because I got to know right away how I did. I didn't have to wait for a couple of days until the teacher got around to, to, to correcting the quiz and handing it back. But that also meant... There's the downside. The other student got to know how I did. The other student got to see all my mistakes. And I got to see their mistakes too. That can actually be a little scary. That's a kind of a responsibility that, that we don't always bear easily. But you have to accept that in the classroom situation. And the right response is to focus on the learning and... Make sure that you pay attention to your own mistakes, not the other person's mistakes, unless you're really in a position to help them, and then you might offer help. But it's your own mistakes, really, that you have to work on first. It's your own qualifications that are your main concern. And here in the church, knowing each other's faults, which we inevitably do, can be a little scary, too. We get to know each other's mistakes. We get to see how each other lives and where we get it wrong. Here we have to learn to trust each other as brothers and sisters. We have to pay more attention to correcting our own faults than to other people's. But we have to aim at the overall growth of the whole community. And when we do that, we not only become better people, but we become a better community. That's how God forms our character in this community of sisters and brothers. And that's what I think it looks like when we learn to judge in good ways, mainly judging ourselves first, and avoid judging in bad ways, avoid building ourselves up by tearing other people down, in order that we may become the kind of people and the kind of community Jesus wants to make us. And my mind goes back to the Beatitudes here. We're talking about logs in eyes and seeing and Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they will see God. No logs, no specks. So what about that last verse? The one about not giving what is holy to dogs or, or throwing our pearls before swine. What does that mean? 
Does it mean that we have to evaluate other people before we offer advice, decide whether they're actually likely to respond constructively to the wise advice that we have to offer them? Do we have to look around the room and see if there's any pigs or dogs in the room? No, that's not it. In the, in the Jewish first century culture that Jesus and his disciples lived in, pigs and dogs usually meant people outside the community of faith, people who weren't holy, people who couldn't be considered clean. And I know that that sounds a little bit negatively judgmental, but the New Testament, I need to point this out, the New Testament does respect the boundary between believers and unbelievers for people who have accepted the Word of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ and people who haven't. And just to give you one example of, of how this might play out in, in act, the actual life of the church, the Apostle Paul warns the Corinthian church against taking their legal and their financial disagreements into the secular courts. The church, he says, will be asked to judge even the angels someday. So the church needs to be able to settle the small disagreements between believers and to judge rightly those kinds of things that need to be judged. He says you must not shame the name of Jesus by dragging his name into courts run by unbelievers. I think that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about when he tells us not to give what is holy to dogs or cast our pearls before swine. And maybe... You'll find this a legitimate extension of that or application of that. Maybe not, but I'm going to offer it. I think this sort of principle or this, this saying by Jesus might also mean that we should never measure ourselves or let ourselves be measured by the standards of the world. That we should not submit to the judgment or the opinion of a person or a culture that does not submit to the Lordship of Jesus. What it means to live a good life, what it means to be a good person, what it means to speak the truth, what it means to love God, and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. If our understanding of those things is shaped by the world, by popular culture, by crowdsourced social media, by peer pressure, by, by advertising, by the public education system, and not primarily by the Word of God, then there's a good chance that that also constitutes giving what is holy to dogs, so to speak, and casting our pearls before swine. That we are letting outsiders to the faith influence how we, as people of faith, live our lives in obedience to God. It's our responsibility to lead one another, to influence one another, to shape one another into a holy people, into a holy community. So obviously, the word of Jesus is good and true in this context when he says, do not judge or stop judging all the time so that you will not be judged. But if we do not exercise the positive kind of self-correcting mutual judgment that Jesus has in mind, shaped by the word of God and by the love of God, then we may also be, may be even more so, in danger of judgment if we don't exercise the right kind of, kind of preventive medicine judgment, so to speak. Because good character is formed primarily by good judgment exercised in a community of people 
who love Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus has in mind when he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eyes. So friends, this is the advice of Jesus. This is the thing that Jesus imagines for us. And in fact, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.